Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You know why so many bears keep getting this market wrong? It's the Fed. On a day when the Fed presented the results of its monthly meeting, surprise, surprise, they kept rates low. We had your endless chatter about how the stock market's in a bubble of the Fed's making. After a good day, Dow gained 160 points, S&P jumped 1.24%, NASDAQ fall to 1.35%. You need to know that I think this is totally nuts. Yeah, right. The all-powerful Fed created an environment where equity is the only asset class worth owning and bonds are for suckers. It's all our central bank, possibly with the assistance, let's say, of what, the Bavarian Illuminati? Uh, How about the Freemasons? You know what? I am sick and tired of hearing that we're in a bubble that the Fed's overinflating the price of stocks by printing money to keep the economy moving. Believe it or not, there's more to the economy than just the Federal Reserve, and there's certainly more to the stock market. First, I'm not saying the Fed doesn't matter. Of course, it's important. In theory, they could raise short-term rates to three or four, five. And yeah, that would crush the stock market, among other things. I know that would make the bears very happy. I can practically hear them coming on air and and praising the Fed for giving investors a reasonable alternative with higher short-term rates. But do you really think these critics believe a series of rate hikes would actually be good for any asset class? Do you think higher rates would produce more jobs or a better economy? Kind of important, isn't it? Of course not. See, they would put millions of people out of work and cause a wave of bankruptcies. And for what? A better return from CDs? Well, there's something we're fighting for. Let me be crystal clear. The bearish money managers who want rate hikes don't care about any of this collateral damage. They are talking their book, people. Hey, I was a money manager. I hear them. I know what they're doing. They missed out on the rally and they need stocks to go down or else their hedge funds will go out of business. It's about marketing, people. End of story. There's no rational reason to raise interest rates with double digit unemployment and paltry inflation. Of course, they insist that inflation is about to start raging after that giant $2.2 trillion stimulus package. But we've been hearing the same story since 2009. Oh, yeah, inflation's always just on the horizon. All the smart guys come on and tell us about it, but it never seems to arrive. The Bears do have a smattering of history on their side. They argue the Fed needs to take away the punch bowl before people get carried away, and they point out that an inflationary spiral is indeed hard to stop. But they forget that a deflationary spiral is equally hard to stop. Think Weimar, okay? And that's what I'd be worried about in a recession. Deflation makes everything you own worth less. 
I lived through the 70s. I have no love for inflation, but inflation, it's worse. We've got enough problems right now. We don't need to add a collapsing economy to the mix just because the purists don't think the Fed should keep rates low. Again, there's no serious argument for tightening in the middle of the slowdown. The Fed tried that in 1937, by the way, and it caused a recession within a depression. Why would anyone want to repeat that mistake other than to get things down so they can make a lot of money and market themselves as good money managers? Second point, there's only so much the Fed chief can do to prevent the economy from collapsing. And to quote Scotty, that legendary stock trader from Star Trek, Jay's given her all she's got. His decision to buy some crummy corporate bonds to keep companies afloat, including the cruise lines, was absolutely brilliant. And yes, did he really buy their bonds? No, but get the point. Sure, we've had a number of high-profile bankruptcies since the pandemic got started, but most of these companies were already troubled. J.C. Penney, Brooks Brothers, Neiman Marcus, Jake Grew. They were living on borrowed time even before COVID hit. They, 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 they've been doing barely in a decent economy. Powell's simply trying to keep otherwise healthy businesses afloat until Moderna or Pfizer or Johnson Johnson or AstraZeneca can come up with the long-awaited, much-loved, God-of-worship vaccine. The Bears would have loved a more laissez-faire approach that forced Carnival, Royal Caribbean, Norwegian Cruise into Chapter 11. Weren't they candidates for it, right? Uh, wiping out their common stocks so they could profit from the decline. Same with the airlines. Yeah, short American, let it go under. Without the Fed's implicit backstop, plus Secretary Mnuchin's work, no one in the right minds would lend these companies money or buy their stock in the secondary market. You save the companies. Save the jobs. It should not be controversial other than to the heartless econo-bears. That's my new name for them. Econ- I like that. To say that letting these industries go under would be a bad idea. We can't handle that right now. Again, I don't actually think Powell's causing a bubble, which raises all asset prices. I think he's being prudent and recognized that many companies have been turned upside down by the pandemic, and he doesn't want their employees or their shareholders to pay for it. Yeah, he's effectively bailing his companies out, but the alternative is millions more layoffs, uh, people in food lines, people starving. I don't want some money manager making a fortune because uh, while well, people starve. And it's, it's not right. It's very czarist Russia, by the way. Third, let's take the idea of the bubble head on. Not the bubble head. I'm not talking about this, not this bubble head. I'm talking about taking the bubble head on. If you studied the history of the market, or as you simply as old as I am, as represented by this, you know the Fed has repeatedly been accused of creating asset bubbles. Yet here we are with the market a few percentage points from its highs, watching Zoom video, here uh, wearing masks, and we can't believe, oh, here it is, happening again, money being made. But what exactly is is this, that th- this thing that's happening? Have the markets truly failed us during this period? Sure, individual stock pickers have been able to isolate some big winners. Are they too big? Hey, did the Fed cause the huge gains tonight in PayPal after the close? I, I, did, they, did the Fed do Qualcomm? Hey, was the Fed doing Corvo? No, not Jose Corvo. Corvo, the semiconductor company. The Fed doesn't know anything about these companies. I do. They have the right chips at the right time. Good management. Good for them. It's interesting. We got a bunch of trillion dollar tech companies. And right now, the House of Representatives is insisting that they got there via anti-competitive practices. Not an asset bubble. It is the Fed. Is it evil genius? Sister mother, sister mother. How about its best of our brainiacs doing what they do best? Attempted domination, which last they look really is impossible because uh, they shouldn't. They shouldn't throw the game, should they? Should they be saying, wow, man, we're really doing well. Let's just throw the fourth quarter. You know, spike the ball. No! When I look at these winners in this period, I see companies with very smart executives that are simply great at what they do. Many of them have gotten a huge boost from the pandemic. 
It's not Jay Powell's fault that Amazon's the best way to buy things when you're sheltering in place or afraid to go to the store. Finally, on days like today, when stocks levitate, you can easily say, well, where else is the money supposed to go? The Fed's taking away all the alternatives. Wrong. There are so many high-yielding stocks out there that are actually okay, that you can buy them if you want income. It's just a question you've got to do some homework. You don't need to be that creative to find something safe for the 5% yield, but that means you have to actually open a book or whatever, a cyber book. Of course, the dividend stocks aren't the ones that are roaring here. Instead, the winners are stocks of companies that are delivering huge earnings growth and giving us encouraging forecasts. We just heard that from AMD and Starbucks this morning, a pair of great companies that we own for the Chapel Trust, which you can follow by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. And they both did something they wouldn't do before. You see, they gave us guidance, reinstated. And that's what's causing this rally. Reinstated guidance, confidence, not Jay Powell with low interest rates, but American companies with higher forecasts that we didn't account on, including profits from a weak dollar. The bottom line, hey, go ahead. You can call it a bubble if you want. You can call it antitrust if you want. I don't care. I I call it the Fed choosing not to destroy the entire economy for no good reason. Sure, the Fed could decide to tighten to please the bears and eat it down and make a lot of money so they get big houses in the Hamptons, including one next, uh, well, let's say big house in the Hamptons. Uh, I I just like I I could decide to punch myself in the face. I mean, why doesn't Powell tighten? Geez, I don't know. Uh, Why don't you put all your money together in a big pile and light it on fire, stuff to the chimney? It kind of seems like a bad idea to me. So the next time some bearish money manager says we need to destroy the economy in order to save it, please remember, most of these people making this argument need stocks to go down to make big money so that they can dominate, so to speak, and get really better houses than you have in the Hamptons. And unlike the four titans who were grilled today, they don't care how it happens or how many people will be hurt by their actions and wishes. Let's go to George in Minnesota. George. Hi, Jim. Hi, George. I was, I was wondering how you feel about Cliff's stock. No, no, no. We're not buying the metals. I mean, look, if you want to buy the metals, you buy gold. Uh, Cliff's is okay. Look, you, I, I know. Iron, people say, oh, we're short iron. Actually, I, and I get that. We're actually short nickel, uh, but that's valet, and I would never recommend valet. But no, I, we, we go for the highest quality, and if you have to own a metal, we own the precious, and that means we own Rangold, uh, which is now Barrick, simple G-O-L-D. How about Dick in Virginia? Dick. Hi, Jim. I wanted to talk to you about uh, Kodak and, and the deal that went down. Right. And, you know, the, the, the stock was $2, and now it, it got as high as 60 today and closed right. about 33 So the government came along and gave them a loan of, of $765 million. And out right. of that, they're going to create 350 jobs. So each job, say, is worth, if I divide that, uh, each job is worth about $2.2 million, and you divide that over the 25-year loans, say it's worth 90000 Right. I mean, it, the numbers don't add up, do they? Right. Well, see, sometimes the market, uh, the actual mechanisms of the market fail because there's not enough stock, there's not enough float, people are short. Uh, if you look at the, on Robinhood, you'll see that Kodak was the largest of the uh, stock that they had in their leaderboard of, of uh, popularity changes. There was just too many buyers came in at once, and it became kind of a free-for-all. Are our markets a joke? No, but at times they don't work. And what's happening in Kodak doesn't work. I know that Peter Navarro and the people uh, uh, in the White House who want to be able to make it so that we make pills in this country are doing the right thing. Was this the right company to do it? All I know is that the stock sure wasn't ready for it. And it, it's the way, it's the mechanism it breaks. Gary in Texas. Gary. 
Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Gary Kinflow, and I am calling because I have a love, love, love for Alaska Air, A-L-K. I love it as a customer as well as a, an investor. I'm one of those guys who at this point in my life, I'm interested in income and capital preservation. And I see Alaska Air is having one of the best balance sheets in the industry. Yeah, but it doesn't have income or capital preservation, sir. I mean, it's an airline. Look, I know it's a great airline, and it was. You know, in the old days, remember, it was by far the best. But now airlines are all, I mean, the quarantine situation is hurting Alaska. Remember, almost anywhere you go now, you got to spend the first two weeks doing absolutely nothing. Like when I had to live in the pool house and my wife bought me the food and put it in front of the door. That was some vacation. You know, you got to remember, you can't really go anywhere without being on a quarantine these days, particularly if you're from the United States of America. Don't listen to the bears. The Fed did the right thing. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, Americans with diabetes and related health conditions are 12 times more likely to die of COVID-19 than those without it. I'm talking with the CEO of Dexcom to find out how it continues to respond to the pandemic. Why don't they let them do more to help these people? The heads of Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google testified on Big Tech's power today. I'll tell you why I am praising the companies. Again, it's one of the big housing winners. I highlighted a few weeks ago, and the CEO joins me tonight. Don't miss my sit-down with Martin Marietta. And stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. Some stocks, they just don't know when to quit. Take a look at Kramer Fave Dexcom, the medical device company with a continuous glucose monitor for diabetics that lets you keep track of your blood sugar without pricking your finger a dozen times a day. This is a stock that's more than doubled from the March lows. Man, we love this from 25, by the way. In part because people are taking their it's, oh, it's at 400. Uh, they're taking their health much more seriously during the pandemic. We know diabetes is a risk factor for COVID. The only problem, I hate it when a company runs too much in earnings. You don't want it to come in too hot. Last night, Dexcom reported a stunning quarter, a monster revenue beat, coupled with a truly spectacular earnings number. That was a 45-cent beat off a 34-cent basis. Yet they more than doubled the number that the analysts were looking for, and they, and they reinstated their guidance. But even if these incredible re, uh, results, the stock only closed up about 2%. I think it could have a lot more room to run, but do not take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Kevin Sayer. He's the executive chairman, president, and CEO of Dexcom. To get a better sense about these phenomenal results, Mr. Sayer, welcome back to Mad Money. It's good to be back, Jim. I thought I'd show you my Dexcom mask before we started, and then we can get on with it. There you well, go. Well, I think it's great. You know, I'm a big believer in masks. If everybody wore one, we could shut this thing down very quickly. So thank you. Okay, I want I'm to well start with that. All right, I want to start with the premise. 
I thought this was the quarter you would miss. And the reason I say that is because there are a lot of different things that have happened in healthcare that have been shut down, including things that you actually need to do because of COVID. Obviously, your, your uh, device is so important that people still went and got it despite fear of COVID. No, it is, it, it is that important. And patients depend upon this to manage a very dangerous condition where you're delivering insulin, you know, several times a day to, to, to control your diabetes. And without the proper information, they can't make the right decisions. We are so embedded in the diabetes culture now or the diabetes patient population, many patients don't know what to do without it. And so it is very important that we have the technology. We, we've kept our patient base and served them well. We've increased access to them, made it easier to get, and then we've added new patients also. Now, there have been statistics which show that uh, as much as 40% of the people who have uh, expired from COVID were diabetic. But what I didn't know until I read your conference call was that a staggering number of people in this country, a huge percentage, have type 2 diabetes. Oh, a very large number of people have type 2 diabetes. It's a very prevalent condition, and it's also one that is growing, and it's one that needs to be managed uh, early on, and hopefully we can delay some of the complications or even some of the more expensive treatments that we have to do over time. And that's one place where we're spending a lot of time doing research and, and learning is how to better manage people with type 2 diabetes who aren't on insulin yet or who might be pre, have a prediabetes condition. It's really a big future growth area for us. You know that we've, and I know because you watch the show, we have been featuring endlessly uh, Livongo. And, and one of the reasons why we have is because they seem to have a very good relationship with Dexcom. Oh, no, they do. We do work with uh, Livongo uh, very well. And one of our premises and one of the things we want to do over time uh, with them is get our data incorporated into the Livongo experience for patients. So one way to manage, again, a patient with type 2 diabetes, if through Livongo platform they can get uh, literally the 288 readings that we have in a day to those patients, that's a huge win for them. Now, one of the things that you talk about besides Livongo relationship, you kind of distinguish in a lot of this is, is through there are three buckets. The people who go to the drugstore to get it, the people who go to the hospital who get it, and the people who seem to find out about it from Medicare. Um, it, but it's this drugstore, uh, let's say, um, drugstore drug method uh, of getting Dexcom that, that's crushing it. Now, I've never seen a drugstore be that cooperative or helpful. What's going on? Well, one of the things we had to do, Jim, one of the things we've learned, we need to meet our patients where they are. And our patients go to the drugstore, certainly for their insulin and other medications, on a regular basis. The easiest way to get product to these patients is through the drugstore. We've worked very hard with the payer network across uh, the U.S. to get reimbursement through the pharmacy channel so patients can go there and pick up the product. And we've not only made it advantageous from a convenience perspective, but as I said yesterday, 30% of our patients covered in the pharmacy benefit pay zero copay. And so we have made it much easier for patients to get and to use the technology and that's our preferred channel over time. Well, I mean, how about what do we do about in the hospital COVID-19 patients uh, using uh, uh, Dexcom? Because you addressed oh. that in the conference call, but I still wasn't okay. sure of the relationship. Well, it's been very interesting. We got, uh, if you will, uh, an, an emergency approval or a, a waiver 
to go use our product in that environment where we are not yet currently labeled. And we embarked on what I would call a journey to get our technology into that environment. And we've learned many things along the way, not the likes of which is it's a little different dealing with the emergency room staff and the ICU staff than endocrinologists. We've had to learn about IT systems in the hospital as we're transmitting data, make sure we're secure. But the bottom line is we solved two very important problems there. First of all, we make it much easier for the healthcare workers. They use much less equipment. They don't have to go into the room as often. They don't have to expose themselves to, to these patients because they, they can monitor them in the hallway. We put a sensor on a patient, hang a phone next to the pole, and then they can use our, our follow app to look at where the patient is. So we are helping in that area, but we're also helping provide better control for these patients. It, it's very apparent in everything I've read, and I, I'm sure you've read more than me, but this, this virus definitely appears to have an effect on the pancreas, and controlling diabetes in addition to the respiratory problems becomes an issue. If you have a reading every five minutes, an alert or an alarm, if somebody's too high or too low, they can much better control the diabetes aspect of these patients or the glucose variability aspects of these patients, and then deal with the respiratory issues as well. We've had great success. Well, you know, Kevin, I know we, got, we have to wrap things up, but I, I wish that the medical community knew what you just said. I think it's catch as catch can. I was looking into the, uh, into the literature about whether I could find something about what they're doing about people with diabetes, and the answer was I couldn't. Uh, we're waiting for the article. I wish you could get some doctors to write the article so people still don't think it's just respiratory. It's not. It's vascular. They're coming, Jim. All right. We need we got, them. They're, they're coming. The doctors don't know. We still don't know enough. Kevin Sayer, chairman, president, and CEO of Dexcom, with a remarkable quarter that should have been bad and turned out to be fantastic. Great to see you, sir. Thank you, Jim. This remains one of the great stories, unfortunately of our lifetime, not because I don't like Kevin, but because we can't stop diabetes. We have money's back in. Right. I come to praise the titans of tech, not bury them. That's right. We need to talk about these house antitrust hearings because the four companies on the hot seat, Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, and Facebook, happen to be the best things the American economy has going for it. Are the real issues here? Of course. Amazon and Apple allegedly abused their market power against businesses that use their platform, merchants and app developers, respectively. Facebook also owns Instagram, which means they do dominate social media and they play hard. Alphabet's got Google, which means they practically own the whole search category. There's a world where we could have a reasonable discussion about how to regulate these big tech platforms. But unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be this world. Today's hearings feel more like an opportunity to rake the ultra-rich over the coals. Who can avoid it? Sure, Congressman David Cicilline portrayed these tech titans as scheming Goliaths, destroyers of the hopes and dreams of the Davids in the country. Take a listen. Many of the practices used by these companies have harmful economic effects. They discourage entrepreneurship, destroy jobs, hike costs, and degrade quality. Simply put, they have too much power. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. But it's not my way. I'm going to reframe this whole discussion. Let me ask you something. What does America do well these days? How are we competitive with the rest of the world, especially in Ascend in China? We're certainly not winning any prizes in public health, 
Most of our manufacturing sector has spent decades being gutted by foreign competition, particularly from the PRC. We used to be a leader in aerospace until Boeing's most popular plane started falling out of the sky. The 737 MAX has been grounded for over a year. Even if it gets clearance to fly again, you can't really call that a triumph of American ingenuity anymore. What's left? Well, we're pretty good at finance, but nobody wants an economy led by banks. <laughs> not after the financial crisis. And by the way, you should not own the banks right now. Just a bad moment for them. We had a huge service economy, but for the most part, you can't export services. We're very good at making drugs and medical technology. All that's politically fraught because in the rest of the world, these things tend to have price controls. We're still good at technology, though. We've lost some ground on the hardware side of things, but there are vast swaths of tech, semiconductors in particular, where America remains the top dog. But most importantly, it's the parts of the industry exemplified by, let's see, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and Alphabet? First, Amazon. We may bemoan how much power Amazon has over third-party retailers, but one look at Shopify's incredible earnings today tells you that Amazon's got real competition, and we've liked that Shopify for 1,000 points. And look, there's no denying this company has made itself essential during the shelter-in-place economy. I tell you, Amazon saves lives by keeping prices low, but that's actually exhibit A of any competitive behavior, predatory pricing. So uh, maybe not the best defense. Second, Alphabet-owned search, no question. But every year, it seems like the search business loses value, which is what I expect to hear when the company reports tomorrow. Washington dislikes Google's power. Wall Street dislikes Google's lack of power. With Amazon making a big push into advertising market, that is some real competition. The fact that companies can live and die by Google's algorithm is suboptimal. And I do wish they were less secretive, but they have good reason. They keep the algorithm secret to prevent companies from gaming the system, which ruins the user experience. Please don't forget, Alphabet uses its ample profits to fund huge blue sky investments in healthcare, autonomous driving, artificial intelligence. That's exactly what we want. As for Facebook, of course they dominate social media. They practically invented it. Give them a break. I think this whole industry tends toward natural monopolies. The whole point of these networks is that everybody's on them. And look, Instagram Shops has been the single greatest job creator during the pandemic, at least. It's the cheapest way to reach new customers in your area. Most importantly, though, with the Chinese-owned TikTok wreaking havoc on parts of Facebook, this is not the time for the government to hobble them. It's time for the government to look at a TikTok. But as for last, Apple. Let's face it, without Apple, we would not be using American-made phones. Everything else of any scale is from China, South Korea, or Japan. It would be like TVs. You know, like, do, you have a, do you have an American TV? No, we don't make them. The app stores created more than 2 million jobs. Is it predatory? I mean, you could argue that Apple taking a 30% cut off your sales, getting that app store is excessive. But I got news for you. Without the app store, you'd have no sales. I'll give Apple 30% rather than give them 100% nothing. Here's how I look at it. And every other industrial country, industrialized company has so-called national champions. These are companies that let them compete worldwide, and their governments bend over backwards to give them an edge. In an increasingly globalized economy, maybe America needs some national champions of its own. I have four of them. I nominate Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and Alphabet. That would be a good start. And you know what? I got a fifth. Let's throw in Microsoft for good measure. Let's speak to Jack in Pennsylvania. Jack. Hi, Jim. Uh, My son, Jack, has a question for you. Here he is. Booyah, Jim. I just finished one of your books. I I loved it. I can't wait to read the next one. Well, thank you, man. I got seven of them out there. Go to work. 
<laughs> All right, I uh, I got to talk to you on Micron Technology. Right. Okay, here's the problem with Micron. I got the semis all over me. Corvo, uh, Jose Corvo's going crazy tonight. That's a joke. Uh, we got Qualcomm going crazy. I think Broadcom. That's right. Broadcom is better than Micron. That's your play. I would say NVIDIA, but man, how far can that go already? Although I still can go higher. And AMD, well. Uh, the company's in the hot seat. Happen to be the best things that we got going in the U.S. economy. Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, and Facebook are my heroes. Much more man money. Infrastructure construction projects were interrupted by the pandemic. But does Martin Marietta remain on the road to profits? I'm sitting down with one smart CEO. Then Afri is one of the few Canadian cannabis plays that's close to turning a profit. But the stock took a hit after earnings. I'm sitting down with the CEO of the second most informed Canadian company, of course, because because they had Shopify on the closing bell, and we'll see how they're faring. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. Stay with Kramer. This market craves certainty. You know that. So when a company like Martin Marietta Materials, the big maker of construction materials, and there you got to think about aggregates, cement, concrete, asphalt, reports a gigantic earnings beat yesterday, but also declines to give guidance, well, the stock gets crushed. The results here were astonishing. While the company only delivered slightly higher than expected sales, they earned $3.49 per share. Wall Street was only looking for $3.03. Even better, I loved management's commentary. Turns out conditions were far better than feared. Residential construction is on fire. The strength in warehouses and data centers is offsetting the weakness in the rest of non-residential construction. There was some concern about big infrastructure projects being interrupted by the pandemic, but many states use these periods of light traffic to get some much-needed road work done. Unfortunately, Martin Marietta just couldn't, and I think this was totally reasonable, give you a forecast. There's so many moving parts. Will more states need to shut down? Will the next round of stimulus be both timely and big enough to matter? We just don't know. So the company said they reinstate their guidance when they have more visibility. In response, yep, stock plummeted nearly 7% yesterday, though it inched back up today. So could this be the rare chance to get into a stock that has rallied nearly 70%? From its March lows. Let's check in with Ward Nye, the chairman and CEO of Martin Marietta Materials, to get a better read on the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Nye, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, it is great to be with you again. I'm sorry I'm not with you today. Oh, I'd, same here, Ward. I mean, you do such a terrific job. And what I wanted to try to get at was, to me, given the mosaic of businesses you have, there's just always a lot of things that are working. I mean, I, I thought it was interesting, not, non-residential, okay, but warehouse, data center good, housing good, and a lot of the different states are, are uh, using this moment to do a lot of road work. Jim, that's exactly right. And, and what we saw during the quarter, to your point, we actually turned in, you'll love this, Jim, it was the safest half year we've ever had in our company's history. It was the most profitable half year we've ever had in our company's history. And what we see with safety is we see production efficiencies. We see lower SG&A. We actually had lower fuel costs. But to your point, housing behaved very well in the quarter. We think housing is going to continue to behave, behave very well. Infrastructure was solid. And part of what, we've, we're, what we're seeing, Jim, is gasoline taxes have come back to within 6% of where they were pre-COVID. So things have recovered much more quickly in that dimension. And now we're watching some of the things that you are too. What's going to happen with phase four stimulus? 
and some things that could actually put some important healing notions to some of the public side of construction right now. But I have to tell you, I was incredibly proud of our team and the performance they put in in the second quarter and first half. Well, there are states out there that you dominated and that sound like there's so much good that's happening uh, that I was worried about. North Carolina. I mean, that is just a place where a lot of business is being done. Well, it is. And a lot of people are moving to North Carolina. The population trends are enormous. And, and here's a big change that we saw in that state. When we were talking in Q1, we were anticipating probably $600 million worth, worth of bidding activity in, in FY21, which has just begun. And now North Carolina DOT has estimated they're going to have about $1.3 billion worth of lighting. So North Carolina is an important state for us. But so is Colorado. And Colorado is issuing significant bonds in that state so they can continue construction up and down the I-25 corridor, which is home to well over 80 percent of the population there. But what's important, too, are states like Texas. That's our right. largest state by revenue. They've got a lending schedule of $7.1 billion for the fiscal year that's going to start on September 1, very much in line with where they were in the previous year. And keep in mind, Jim, they've got a nearly $10 billion rainy day fund that right now it looks like they might not even have to tap. So where you are in this business, the states in which you choose to do business and the MSAs within those states in which you locate really drives the success of a business like ours. Let's talk about Florida. Florida's always big. Florida doesn't have any actual stone in it, does it? Don't you have to bring everything down and therefore you kind of own the market? There's no mom and pop alpha you're competing against. Well, you, you've got a bifurcated situation. So they do have marine limestone, but, Jim, they don't have granite. And granite is what you need to make hot mix asphalt in the most efficient way and have something that has good anti-skid stopping for all those cars that stop in a rainstorm every afternoon in Florida. So we are the largest importer of granite in that state, and we're coming in by rail. So CSX Rail and Norfolk Southern bring us in. But we also come in by Panamax Vessels at four different locations throughout Florida, and that gives us very good state coverage. And to your point, the Florida DOT budget is sitting at about $9.2 billion, again, in the new fiscal year, very consistent with last year. But Florida DOT did something that we thought was incredibly wise because, A, they could, and, and two, or B, they've got a lot of work. They accelerated nearly $2 billion worth of infrastructure work. And when you see that type of infrastructure work in a state like Florida, that is, to your point, a disproportionate amount of our business. Oh, one last question. This is the first time that I, when I look at your documents, that I realize you are an, a, 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 an e-commerce play. Well, we, well, you didn't think that, did you? No, but, I did not. Are. No, I and, did not. And, and I can tell you how that happens. Who, who would have thunk it in stone? But really, if you're looking at data warehousing and warehousing, these are important non-res projects for us because here's what we see, Jim. Data warehousing and data centers and just warehousing generally, the inventories are low and the demand is high. But several things happen that we think are important. They're incredibly aggregates intensive for a couple of reasons. One, the sheer size of them. Number two, the design and method of construction. So if we're looking at the size, if we're looking at an Amazon warehouse versus a, a big box, they tend to be seven to ten times more aggregates intensive. And here's one of the reasons. If you can think about how they're building them, they're not building them with block. They're typically building them with tilt-up walls. So it's really almost a concrete envelope. And then if you think about the traffic going in and out of those facilities, it's really big trucks. 
and they're going to have to ride on really thick asphalt or, more to the point, concrete roads in that circumstance. So you're right. We are reaching out into e-commerce and omni-channel retail strategies in ways that we never imagined. Well, I got to tell you, I think you had a very exciting mosaic of business. I'm always glad when you came on. The stock's too cheap. Ward Nye, Chairman and CEO of Martin Marietta Materials. Great to talk to you, sir. Thank you, Jim. May have back after the break. It is time! It's time for the lightning round! Lightning round. Lightning round. Lightning round. Lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, daddy! Time for the lightning round! Let's start with Mike in your mic! Hi, Kramer. How are you? I am good, Mike. Speak to me. Okay, my question is on BCRX, BioCrate. No, no, wait. This thing's been kicking around forever. Let's up our game. Let's up our game. Let's go to the Regenerons of the world. Let's go to E. Why? Lily. Tommy in New Jersey. Tommy. Hey, Jim. Booyah to you. I'm actually in Wellington, Florida. How are you doing today? I am doing well. Thank you for asking. How about you? Not bad, sir. Thanks for asking. I want to ask you about Lumber Liquidators. What do you think about it going into the I next I think it's not a great company, but it's in the, right now in the sweet, sweet spot of business so that you can buy it and it can go higher. Let's go to Justin in New York. Justin. Booyah! Booyah. What's up, my man? I don't know. You tell me. Okay, ready? Here we go. With yeah. emerging markets growing fast, e-commerce being the hottest trend, will the reporting of Amazon and Mercado help in knowing more about this stock that is up 50% this month? What are your thoughts on the African Amazon? Jumia. Yeah, but the thing was down 50% of the downloads. Usually, you know. Uh, it's Amazon, and then you want to buy... Um, a, 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 Let's say I'm actually trying to figure out whether I want to recommend you. The Mercado is a very, very good idea, Mercado Libre. But in, in the end, but let's just use those because you mentioned them, and I think they're good. I was going to say Alibaba, but you kind of covered it. Let's go to Ronnie in New York. Ronnie. Hi, Jimbo. Looking good, looking good. You don't age, man. All I right. want to know what's the deal. What's the deal with Neo? I- oh, Neo! Neo is one of those stocks. It's like you know, it's a, it's a Zeitgeist and cult stock. It's a Chinese EV stock. They got another one coming. I only recommend one Chinese stock. Although I should have recommend JD too, because JD is very good. I'm recommending, you know, I just Alibaba. I don't want to go crazy here. Let's go to it. Stop it! Let's go to Andrew in California. Andrew. Hey, Jim, I'd like to get your feedback on a company called GTT with 5G coming. I'm wondering if maybe they hit bottom. You want 5G. If you want 5G, I'll give you Skyworks Solutions. I'll give you Marvell Technologies. I'll give you Corvo. I will give you Qualcomm. Any one of those is better than the one you just mentioned. Sorry to be so disputatious. Let's go to David in Virginia. David. Big end of the working day. Booyah from Aspen, Virginia. Every day's a working day. Because, you know, what you want on your tombstone is uh, he worked too hard. That's actually not true. But go ahead. Uh, I'm lonely. I was in a lot of pain, but I'm back to even. Is the health care seems to change or did COVID kill the revenue for the hospitals? Do I buy more or sell? Or I actually, I think, that, I think that HCA is undervalued because everybody kind of knows that it hurt them. It's, and in the end, they always end up making money. Don't ask me why. Can you believe Square? Can you believe PayPal? Doesn't it get on your nerves after a while? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
getting hammered for roughly a, a whole year. The cannabis cohort bottomed along with the rest of the market in late March. And since then, they've blazed the trail higher. We've had a little reefer renaissance in the stay-at-home economy. Think of it as a bull market in stress relief. But maybe some of the pot stocks flew too close to the sun. This morning, Afria, which is one of the major Canadian producers of medical and, re- and recreational marijuana, and, and by the way, one that is doing the best, reported what I think was seemingly mixed quarter. Their sales came in higher than expected. They also posted a larger than anticipated loss, though much of that wasn't operational. More importantly, management couldn't give us guidance, not enough visibility. So the stock plummeted nearly 20% today over reaction. After is a tough nut to crack. This is one of the few Canadian cannabis plays that's close to turning a profit. In fact, their adjusted earnings for interest, taxes, and depreciation and amortization were positive. But they also got a host of problems, international disruptions, balance sheet issues, litigation. Mainly, though, I think this is a case where the stock simply got too hot going into the quarter. It had already tripled from its March lows. So how concerned should we be about the lack of visibility? Let's take a closer look with Erwin Simon, the legendary chairman and CEO of Appian. Remember him? Do you remember him from Hain? Hear about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Simon, welcome back to Man Money. Hey, Jim, how are you? Erwin, it looks like we're not in Hain anymore. What's behind you? Well, Jim, if you look behind me here, uh, there is a lot of cannabis growing, a lot of plants. I'm up here in Leamington, Ontario today at our facility. That's 1.6 million square feet. We grow over 150,000 kilos. It's probably one of the most modern and one of the biggest cannabis facilities in the world today. And uh, it's great to be here. It's great to get up here and see our thousand employees. And let me tell you something. They worked through this, you know, time and uh, we had very few COVID cases up here and they were able to produce. And that's why, Jim, we had a great quarter. As you talked about it, you know, consumers stayed home and they were, you know, up here using cannabis and our sales, our share and everything increased. And it was great to see. Well, let's go over it. You've got a a mixed evolution into derivative products supports with accretive margins. You've got adult use, you've got medical and you've got wellness. Which are the areas where the most money can be made? So, number one, Jim, and, you know, our cannabis sales, you know, quarter over quarter, were down a bit, but our recreational cannabis sales were up 28%. That's where the big opportunity is, is recreational cannabis. As you come back and look at Canada today, it's legalized in Canada. Today, they probably got 1,000 stores throughout all of Canada, and they will triple that to 3,000 stores. Also, we got a good-sized medical business, and we expect to grow that both in Canada and Europe. And, Jim, one of the biggest things is here, listen, we have seven brands, and our brands are either number one or number two throughout Canada. You know, our Rift brand, our Soleil brand, our Good Supply brand. And, you know, I know how to build brands like I did at Hain, and we'll build our brands here. But one of the important things is, and, you know, we, you always talk about it, is legalization in the U.S. Right. With us perfecting Canada and being the number one, you know, player in Canada, it's going to give us a big opportunity to go into the U.S. market. And some of the things that we'll look at is this here. Are we going to buy something in the consumer area that allows us ultimately when ultimately when legalization happens, it will allow us to be into the U.S. market. But I got to tell you, the opportunities are tremendous also in medical. We got a big operation in Germany, you know, in Deutsche Land. We're doing business in Italy. And we, you know, even though we took a write down 
on some of our assets in South America. We're not withdrawing from Colombia and Argentina. We're still going to do business there and either we'll produce our products in Canada and make a smaller or build a smaller facility. Okay, so Erwin, uh, you're in Shoppers Drug Mart. I, I don't know the company, but it would seem to be an analog at 1,300 stores, nine provinces, to the kind of thing where you might be able to go into a Walgreens. You might be able to go even into a Target. You have great relationships with all of the major outlets. Are you ready, if the Democrats sweep in November, which is a possibility, to make those calls and say, look, I want you to be having Broken Coast and Good Supply and Riff, and let me tell you how they work? So, Jim, I love that you know our brands, and hopefully maybe you tried them once in a while, okay? But more important is this here, Jim. You know, we today have over 2.3 million square feet of greenhouses up here in Canada. We produce over 265,000 kilos here, okay? We have in Germany a facility that's the number one facility that produces for the medical, um, the medical you know, patients in Germany. So, again, if the Democrats sweep, or even if Mr. Trump gets elected and they say, here's what we're going to do. We are going to legalize medical cannabis on a federal basis, and each of the states that need money, you go ahead and legalize it on the state level. So, hey... After two and a half years, we know everything about growing cannabis. We know everything about building brands around cannabis. We know everything about cultures and strains. But the most important thing is, Jim, in the Canadian market today, there's about $5 billion of cannabis that's sold. Two and a half to $3 billion is still sold in the illicit market. And with our quality, with our regulatory, with our brands, and with our pricing, our ability is taking it away from the illicit market. And, Jim, how many studies are coming out today that saying alcohol is one of the major causes of, of cancer? Absolutely. Nobody's coming, back and, nobody's coming back and saying, hey, cannabis causes this. Cannabis does that. Right. Cannabis the is not thing, you know, the leading causes of murder at home or alcohol. You don't hear a lot of people not, getting stoned and killing each other. And, and, Jim, some of our biggest users today are, you know, over 60 years old that are using it today for anxiety, for using it for pain, using it for sleep. Right. And wouldn't it be great today to use one of our vapes that we'll sell close to $100 million next year in regards to, hey, this is something that's going to help me with my health and well-being. I so know. Well, look, it beats look getting, it. It's beat opiates. It beats clonopin. It beats Lunesta. Absolutely. Irwin, we're going to have to go. But it is great to hear from you. I have missed you. And you will own this category because this is exactly what you know. Don't forget, give us some stuff that has no pesticides. Promise? We need yeah, whole foods. I promise you there is, Jim. There, I promise you there is no pesticides anywhere here. And, right. Jim, the opportunity for a consolidation and growth is tremendous. Uh, I industry. agree with you. And listen, this is two years old only, so you think about it. Look at the opportunity here. All right. Erwin Simon, welcome back. The chairman and CEO of Afria with, yes, you can say, a profitable cannabis company. Everybody's back after the break. Look, I, I look around at what we do best in this country, and I see these four guys that are being uh, just uh, drawn and quartered in front of the Capitol Hill. Thank God it's on Zoom or whatever the heck they were using. And I think, why? Come on, Apple's what we do best, and Amazon and Google are really great. Facebook, it's kind of like where we're still winning, like we're kind of losing in a lot of places. I don't know. I like to win. 
Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. Problem solved, I find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.